Hi, you're listening to the Inside Family Law Podcast, and I'm here at the sixth annual AFCC conference um, in Sydney. Um, you know, one of the great things about the conference is it brings people from all over the world. And I'm speaking with Phil Stahl, who is from the United States. Is that right? That's correct. I guess that by your accent, you see. Um, and so what is it you do and where is it that you work, Phil? Well, I live in Arizona and I work um, throughout the United States and actually internationally because I do four things now in my practice. I, I do custody assessments, we, like the uh, family report writers here in, in, in Australia. I uh, expert witness work, um, something called shadow experts, and and also I, I am an expert on issues of domestic violence mm -hmm. or relocation or things like that. I teach a lot. I, I at workshops, at conferences, and at continuing education. So, like, I teach lawyers throughout the world. I teach judges throughout the world. I'm on the faculty of the United States has a national judicial college. I'm on their faculty teaching mm -hmm. judges about these issues. Um, and in addition to that, um, I write. I um, and, and and that's pretty much what I do. But you know, my passion is really with the international work that I've come to learn because it, it teaches me so much about how people do things in different countries, different cultures, and the and I learn what's good in the U.S. and what's not so good in the U.S. and I can bring some of the good in the U.S. over here, what I've learned in 37 years of my work in this field. Um, and I've been in Australia many, many times and I feel like almost an honorary Aussie. <laughs> So I'm interested to know, so obviously it's, it's very different in the U.S. in different states, isn't it? The Correct. To family law. Um, uh, can you tell me a bit about how children's best interests are looked at, or is it very similar across different states, or worse here? Or? It, it's fairly similar between the different states. Uh, many states have factors that the judge has to consider related to family law. Australia has factors that are in the law. Um, and some states are more nebulous, so that, that just say best interest of the child and don't define it that much. And, and they're a little bit different, but in practice, they're really very, very similar in most areas of the law. Best interests will encompass um, developmental issues, uh, how the age of the child and the way that the child is functioning in his or her family, uh, the relationships with mom and dad, um, and, and, the, and the importance of sharing parenting time unless there's a problem which would negate the sharing of parenting time. They differentiate between decision-making kinds of issues, some call it joint legal custody or legal custody issues, and some call, and then the parenting time, which some call a visitation or something else. So though, that's where some of the differences occur between states. But I'll tell you, by and large, most judges, most of the systems within the U.S., they look at the family, they see how to maximize each parent's parenting time if what I say, all other things are equal, if they don't have major problems. So if parents live near enough to one another, if they're functional parents, if they're actively involved in the child's life, you want to keep that going. And in the last 20 years, there's been a growing trend to a significant amount of sharing parenting time and sharing the decision making. And actually in about 75, 80% of the families, that works very well. And quite frankly, the judges don't make decisions in those cases. Parents solve the problems. They go to mediation, they work with their lawyers, and they solve their problems on their own. And they develop what would call, be called in Australia a consent order. 
and um, they live their lives and we never see them again. In that 20% or so of families, there are some kinds of problems. And the work I do usually involves those problems. Do you want me to talk about yeah, those? Yeah, tell me about the problems okay. and how you how and you how we, to, I mean, you know, can't wave a wand, but how do you work through those? Well, I'd you? like to wave a wand. If I, <laughs> and if I could wave a wand, I'd take away the problems and let more functional issues go on. But we can't wave a wand. So we have to be realistic about what is mum bring, what does dad bring, what are the kids' issues, and why can't they work together to have what would seem to be a reasonable parenting plan in normal circumstances. So, what I'll give you problems? examples. <laughs> One big example is domestic violence. Yeah. Um, and, and domestic violence needs to be understood along dimensions. You have some domestic violence which is just one time, around the time of separation, not too, not too big a deal, not that I want to ever minimize any issue of domestic violence because one slap is still a slap, right? But if it's only one slap in a 20-year marriage and, and it's because of a tremendous amount of frustration and the person feels really remorseful and bad about that, that's different than a, a couple who've been fighting the whole marriage, um, but both parents contribute to that fighting. And that's different from what we call coercive control, where one parent, usually the male, not always, but usually the male in, in heterosexual relationships, in same-sex relationships, it's one of the partners, and he's controlling in so many different areas. Now, the, the key is, when you've got that set separation instigated violence, what, that first group I mentioned, mm. or even situational couples violence, the second group I mentioned, when couples separate, the risks of ongoing violence or abuse or even emotional abuse decreases after separation. In the coercive control families, the risk of that violence, the risk of a further emotional abuse, financial abuse, using the courts abusively, increases after separation. And that's a huge, huge problem. In the advent of technology, one of the biggest problems is stalking. Mm. There's so many ways you can have stalking, and it's difficult to spot, it's difficult to see, it's difficult to have evidence of that in the courts for the courts to pay enough attention to it. And yet it's a big issue. So we need to differentiate the kind of violence that's been in the family. Has it just been minor emotional and, and almost no physical violence? Or has it been a, a pattern of really coercive, controlling, uh, uh, making one partner uh, be injured, be ashamed, be, feel vulnerable, and keeping that going? So if you see a risk going up after separation, almost always that's coercive control. In fact, you know, I rarely use the words always and never. I would say if, the, if those problems increase after separation, you'd be hard pressed to find a family where there isn't coercive control. So that's one area. I don't want to spend all the time on, on coercive control. Well, another area might be substance abuse. Sad to say, we live in cultures, and it doesn't matter whether it's Australia, whether it's the U.S., whether it's uh, New Zealand, South Africa, 
um, Europe, all the places I've taught and been, Singapore and Hong Kong, all have problems with substance abuse. Now, many adults use substances. I enjoy a good glass of wine and... and There's a right here. Right, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's right. And, and, and all that. But it's the abuse of substances, and it's the abuse of substances during one's parenting time mm -hmm. that's the problem. So that may make it where you can't have two parents equally or mostly equally and actively involved in the child's life. And you've got to protect the child from the harmful effects of substance abuse. So that's another issue that makes life in the family courts more complex. Another one that's basic everyday people who might not otherwise have problems is relocation. When one parent, you know, two parents are living together in, in, in Sydney, you're in Sydney, are you not? Yeah. Okay, so they're living in Sydney, they're gonna, they're gonna separate and live uh, a few kilometers from each other. Those parents could make it work without a problem to share parenting time, share decision making, and raise their child or children together. But suppose one of them wants to move to Melbourne. Now what do you do? We have to come up with a new parenting plan that adequately keeps both parents involved, but does so recognizing the logistical problems of long distance. But that's only Melbourne. What if they're going to Singapore, another country? Now Singapore you know, will honor, for a while at least, they're gonna honor an Australian judgment. So hopefully if a parent gets to Singapore with their child, when the other parent's parenting time occurs, they're not gonna skip that parenting time and, and defy the order, they'll make it work. But Singapore will work with the family to make sure that they go back. But some countries won't. There's what's called the Hague Convention on the International Abduction. And some countries haven't signed on to the Hague Convention. And if you haven't signed on to the Hague Convention, they don't care what your court order is here in Australia. So there's complications that arise as a result of relocation. Complications of distance, complications of country, complications of language. Um, even English in America and English in Australia, I've been over this country so many times, I'm generally pretty good at understanding y'all except when there's some expression I've never heard before. And then I ask my mates, what does that mean? You know, that kind of thing. But what if they're speaking Chinese or, or Mandarin? Or what if they're speaking, um, uh, you know, multiple other languages? I'm thinking of the countries I've been involved in, Germany or France. What if they're speaking those languages? And it's the young child who's going to learn the new language and the other parent, the distant parent, doesn't know that language. So you've got language issues, you've got culture issues, you've got distance issues, and they're always intertwined with child development issues. How old is the child at the time of that proposed relocation? So that's another complicator. Another complicator, quite frankly, is the personality style or mental health of the parents, yeah. one or both parents. Some high conflict parents are high conflict simply because they're, they've never worked out their problems in their marriage, so they stay high conflict. Some high conflict parents are high conflict because they've got a significant personality problem. 
they're seriously narcissistic or they're seriously overreactive or and, and distort things or they're seriously we've all heard of psychopaths and and the way psychopaths act so they've got serious psycho psychopathy and, and and engage in antisocial behavior problems um, you know I, I don't yeah, I do mean to disparage my 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 president. Uh, he's not mine. I didn't vote for him. But you know, a perfect example of the narcissism is Donald Trump. You know, he, somebody like that is difficult to co-parent with. Difficult personality. Difficult style. personality style. <laughs> and if you've got a difficult personality style on the other parent, how do you make agreements together? You almost can't. Well, what do you, I mean, you ask to say? What do you do? Well, you might have to have one parent making the decisions and the court uphold those decisions if they're in the interest of the child rather than force these two parents to interact and the very nar extreme narcissistic parent would undermine everything. Because the underlying bottom line is children's lives need to move forward in a way that they're 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 shielded from that conflict of parents sad to say a small percentage it may only be 10 percent it may be 15 percent it may be over time a little more or less percent but a small percent of parents seemingly hate each other more than they love their kids and when that goes on that's a significant problem for children you've got in your country an amazing um talent. His name is Darren Mort. And Darren's a, a barrister, and I don't know if you talked to Darren, I think you have, but Darren is a, a writer, producer, creative thinker, um, actor, etc. And he just today, no it was yesterday, I'm sorry, I lose track of days. Conference, yesterday, conference, conference does that to you. Just yesterday, premiered an 18-minute film called Tommy. And Tommy showed the experience of a roughly 10-year-old boy and his parents' warfare, where they seemingly hate each other, hated each other more than they loved their kids. They got in, into fights, physical fights, at the car park at, at transition time. Uh, one of the parents and his girlfriend were using substance abu were abusing substances. Well, actually, dad wasn't. But the girlfriend was, and the the dad was like frozen, stuck. He wanted to, he wasn't, he didn't want to take the drugs. His girlfriend was trying to get him to, and that was hard. And Tommy is just frozen in trauma, in this war of his parents. And on his mother's side, she would get angry. She would question him about dad. So the parents would say things about each other that was incredibly overwhelming. So Tommy lives a life of, like a prisoner of war. And that's what these kids experience. So we need to find a way to reduce their exposure to that kind of con conflict. And that means teaching those parents and making sure that those parents have ways to do transitions well, to um, not say bad things about the other parent, not question the kid about what's going on in the other parent's home, and yet simultaneously, when necessary, being protective. So these are the challenges of family law, but it's what I love to do. So what do you see um, 
Do you do much in Hawaii? I'm I do Hawaii. a little bit in Hawaii. I, I, I think that the people in Hawaii, the court system in Hawaii, the war, or attorneys, the uh, other folks, I've done more teaching in Hawaii than I've actually been a practitioner in Hawaii because mm -hmm. I think I charge too much. Quite <laughs> frankly, it's money. If I would go into Hawaii and do an assessment for half the price that I want to charge, they would hire me. But I don't feel I could do it justice with the amount of time, and I want to get reimbursed for expenses and, and some of that stuff. So it's more rare that I go into Hawaii. So what do you think in terms of, I guess, the next thing in family law, whether that be, you know, like in the U.S., I know it's different in the state or the states or here, or where would you like to see, what are you interested in, in terms of where we're going? Well, you know, it's interesting. We always will want to think about what the problems are today. But if we look back historically, even as recently as 25 to 30 years ago, the Australian Family Law Act, before its amendments, was in 1976. Most family law changes in the U.S. have happened uh, since 1980 in the, in the statutory laws. Okay? That's 40 years' worth of change in a recent time. If you go back before that, Oh my God, I never want to go backwards. That's for sure. In fact, significant improvement has occurred during this time despite the problems we have. The problems we have in family law aren't structural problems. They're that the, we haven't figured out what to do for those 10, 15, 20% of miserable parents. Mm. And I don't mean, call, mean to call them miserable. They're acting miserably on behalf of their child. We don't know what to do all the time very well on relocation cases. Mm. We don't know how to manage domestic violence as well as we need to because we're just learning more about the trajectory of domestic violence and how it transcends family law cases when they come in front of the courts. So what I would like to see for the next 40 years, keep it going. Pat yourselves on the back for what you're doing well. I think that's number one. We're doing much, much better. We have social scientists, psychologists, social workers helping families, helping judges make decisions and improve conditions for families. That's number one. Give me three more minutes I'll give you if you can. I will. <laughs> the next <laughs> I thing I would want to do is after we give an applause for what we're doing, let's make sure that the complex problems we have with those 10 to 15 percent of folks. We put resources to sufficiently evaluate those families so we can then provide expert advice for the court with enough assessment having been done to really have ex expert opinions that's based on the data that we've gathered and a good analysis of those data. And the third thing I'd like to say is let's keep doing research on what's beneficial to kids, what's harmful to kids, and keep the progress moving in that direction toward working to help the lives of children. I want to reduce the harm of children. I'd like no kid in the future to experience what Tommy in this film, in his book, in Aaron's book, uh, Tommy and his tiger, imaginary friend tiger, um, you know, 
what they're experiencing, what Tommy's experiencing in that. And exposure to conflict. Exposure yeah. to conflict, exposure to the warfare, and exposure to significant problems of mental health problems, personality, difficult personality problems. And when we've got a relocation case, which is not anybody's fault most of the time, managing it in a way that's best for the child rather than the rights of the parents. That's what I'd like to see for the future. But a big applause for what's been done in the last 40 years well. And that's, that's important. We lose sight of that in all the complaints in the family law system. Thank you so much. Is there anything else? Any other thoughts? Final comments? Uh, no, other than thank you, Zoe. I appreciate the opportunity to be included Happy in this podcast. You. Happy to host you. And where can people get in touch with you if they want to know well, about what you're up to? You mentioned a myriad of things that you're, you're doing. Well, I have a website and a book for parents. It's called Parenting After Divorce, is mm -hmm. the book. It uh, hasn't been updated lately, but it's still relevant. Uh, especially for those high-conflict parents. Uh, my website is parentingafterdivorce.com. Um, and, uh, you know, from there, people can contact me. And, you know, I'm in Australia a lot, and, and, and I hope to get be here more and, and, and continue. Country. It is a good country. Uh, you know, uh, I, I believe Australia does more right than most of the states in the U.S. We do some things good, but not many. Uh, not as well. Again, I'll give applause for what they do well, but many parts of the U.S. really do a poor job of managing the problems in, in family law and the integration of, of assessors and mediation and some of that. So I, I applaud what Australia has done um, in, in, the, in the 45 years since the Family Law Act, uh, almost 45 years has been established. Uh, but that's how people can get hold of me. Thank you. Thank you so much, Phil. Okay.